listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, Northside, I I hate to uh, tell you this, uh, but Northside was robbed. Uh, It was at 10 p.m., April 11th, 2020. A white four-door sedan, looked like a Chevy Cruze, came onto our property. The video cameras showed it clearly because we had just had them installed. It was while this building was still being built, scoped out the property, backed up right here at entrance two where a lot of you came in, went right to the corner window there by my office, took a large rock about this big and just chucked it through the window. It bounced off the table in my office, landed in the desk chair at the end, pushing it backwards and spinning it around. He then entered through that window and proceeded to grab all kinds of things. He stole our hard drive and ripped it out of our server, unplugging network cables, began to take a 50-gallon square trash can and just started throwing things indiscriminately off the desk and emptying out file drawers and everything else into it. Proceeded to break into Alan's office and Tiffany's office and Corey's office and, and rifled through Jessica's office area, went to the front office area, took things like a Canon photo printer, a label printer, a Chromebook and tablets and recording, recording mics and a Fender Stratocaster, uh, a, a Mac mouse, a Roku TV, Petticash, access points, memorabilia. I had some autographed bats in my office, including one that I coached a boys baseball team one time and they got me a bat and they all signed it and all that stuff. He took that because I obviously meant a lot to him and just lots of other things. The man who did this was later caught. The items he stole, of course, were never recovered. The detective told me that the man who did this had a tattoo on him. He said, uh, I find this interesting since he just stole from you at church. Uh, Guess what it says on his, I think he said it was on his neck. I think that's what he said. I said, I don't don't know. What did it say? He said, Satan. We got robbed by Satan. Satan is a thief and a robber and a liar, all kinds of things. He also stole Corey Scott's Bible. So maybe he's reading it today. Let's just hope that, that he's reading it right now and getting a lot out of it. But you know, we still continue to come across things even two years later that we're like, he took that. A couple weeks ago, I was going to Kenya for the mission trip there with Paul and Pam and we were doing the building blessings and all of that. And I said, I'm going to pull out the journal I wrote from that trip the last time I went. My son, Nathan and I, we both went to Kenya and I had all kinds of things written, stories and names of people and things that happened in my Maasai name and, and just everything was written in that journal and I went to grab it off the shelf and I'm like, he took that. Satan took my journal. I don't know if you've ever been robbed before. Part of you is probably thinking, Can you imagine robbing a church? I mean, who would do that? Who would rob a church? Maybe Satan would do that. In fact, you're probably thinking you've got to go pretty low to rob a church. And yet today in our text, Malachi chapter 3, God says to his people, you robbed me. You robbed me. You're robbing God. You are. You're doing it. And the people are like, when did we ever rob God? We wouldn't rob God. And here's what he says in Malachi 3, 8, 9. He says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse. Wait, when did we rob God? By withholding tithes 
and offerings. By giving the worst instead of the best, by giving the least instead of the most, their attitude was, how little can I give to God? They weren't bringing God what he asked them to bring. They weren't bringing the whole tithe to him. And yet the people were acting surprised. They were surprised by the accusation. How have we robbed God? And Malachi's like this prosecuting attorney. He's presenting the evidence and he's backing up this indictment against them. Because today we come to this final sermon in the Old Testament as we've been reading through the Bible, this year of Bible engagement. And we're in Malachi and we now come to chapters three and into chapter four. And and we come to this this section of scripture of Bible engagement that's pretty intense, an indictment against the church. In fact, through the whole book of Malachi, it's these accusations that God's making against his people over and over again. But this is the last sermon that we'll spend in the Old Testament through the year of Bible engagement because next week we enter into the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And I know you're excited about that because some of you who have quit reading will now be able to re-engage with us and you can start reading again. And as we move through the, the New Testament, we're excited about that. You're gonna, all of a sudden, you'll come out of Chronicles, which is what you're, you're in and you're gonna get into Matthew and it's just gonna be like, you're gonna be so excited. And you're going to start reading it. And we're excited too, because we enter into a whole new series next Sunday, uh, do, doing what Jesus did. So uh, do what Jesus did. But I'm excited about that. But, but first, we got to wrap this up. The final book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. In fact, this prophet, the final prophet before 400 years of silence until we finally get to the, Jesus in the New Testament. And I want us to hear what Malachi has to say because it... it, it It means a lot for us today. Verses 7 through 12, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will drop their fruit, will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The nation of Israel had a problem with their attitude. It was their attitude toward tithes. It was their attitude towards their offering. It was their attitude towards giving of their finances to the Lord. Something that none of you could identify with. I, I know that for you, you can't imagine being, being, you know, not enjoying hearing about giving to the Lord. I, I understand that. I mean, as soon as you heard we were going to talk about tithes and offerings today, in your inner spirit, I can even see it on some of your faces right now, that there is a level of excitement within you. I mean, some of you, like, I almost thought there was going to be a standing ovation for a minute. It, it looked like that uh, when I started reading about tithes and offerings. I know you would never struggle with your attitude towards that. And yet they did. In fact, Alan referred last week to this attitude of disrespect which led the Israelites to give from their worst instead of their best animals and, and crops. In other words, it was about the, the quality of their offerings. And this week, it's more about the quantity of their offerings. So last week was the disrespect showing up in the quality of what they give gave. Today, it's more about the quantity. They were not bringing the whole tithe to the Lord. And, and God had 
given these instructions to his people that, that they were to give a tenth of everything, produce and livestock that they possessed. Leviticus 27 talked about that. A, a tithe was to be given to the Levites, who in turn were to tithe the tithe to the priests. It, it was what supported them for the work of God's temple. And tabernacle. The Israelites were also to bring a, a tithe of their produce and animals, and they were to uh, eat it with the Levites before the Lord as, as part of their festival worship, according to Deuteronomy 12 and Deuteronomy 14. And every third year, a tithe was to be stored up in the towns of the Levites, in, in the towns for the Levites and the strangers and the widows and the orphans, as Deuteronomy 14 says. And so it was for the work of God. Every third year that was given so it could be shared with others. And so these offerings were to be used for the priests and designated for them and for the work that was happening there with the temple. And if the Levites and priests did not receive those things, then they would not be able to do the work. It, the work would suffer. God's presence in that place would not be magnified. They wouldn't use it as an attractional force to draw people in, nor would it be a force to go out. And since the temple was God's house... Failure to support its ministry was considered equal to robbing God himself. If we're not supporting the work of God, then we're robbing God. We're taking from him. And Malachi brings this indictment against the people. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you have ever been robbed? Just raise your hand right now if that was you. You've been robbed before. So quite a few people throughout this room, you've been robbed. My, my, my uh, brother-in-law was even uh, robbed at gunpoint. And so... That's even happened. If it's ever happened to you before, you know the feeling of disrespect, of feeling violated, of feeling vulnerable, exposed, wronged. You remember how angering and frustrating and upsetting it was for someone to steal something that was yours. It belonged to you. It did not belong to them. But you can also only imagine how hard it is, and maybe this happened to you, when it's someone that's close to you. I mean, it's one thing to have someone that you don't know take from you. I don't even know his name. It's something else when it's someone close to you. Maybe it's happened to you with a close family or friend who was stolen from you. And maybe it was a, a coworker. Maybe it was a, a partner, a business partner. I was just talking to a couple guys this morning. They, they were talking about their companies and how they had someone in their companies embezzle from the company. And I mean, sort of, oftentimes these are people that you, you're entrusting and you're working side by side with and how hurtful and hard that is. And, one man writing as if what happened in Malachi's day was happening today said it this way. He said, the church has been robbed. Those who carried out the robbery are members of our church. It's bad enough to know that a theft has occurred, but it's really hard to imagine that professing Christians would actually steal from God and the ministries of his church. The robbery happened in full view of the church during Sunday services. It happened as the offering plates were passed during Sunday school and worship. It also happened as people who didn't come simply didn't give the Lord's tithe. It's reported that some of that stolen money has been used for vacations and cars and boats and designer clothes and athletic equipment and homes, even dining out. Imagine for a moment you had an uncle and your uncle came up to you and said, I'm, I'm giving you $10,000 a month. It's a gift. But I just have one requirement. Is, is I want you to take $1,000 of that, 10%. I want you to put it in one of my accounts every single month. You get this word and you are thrilled. You, you're, you are excited. You're amazed. You can't even believe it. $10,000 a month. And I only have to give $1,000 back into one of his accounts every month. Yes, I, I'd be happy to do that. In fact, you're excited to do that. You're thrilled to do it. 
And this goes on for years. And there comes that point in time when you had some horrible things happen and some horrible things happen with the business and you lost a lot of money and then now you're in a desperate situation. And, and so that month you didn't put the thousand dollars into the account. I mean, you've been doing it faithfully for so long, but you know, your circumstances changed and, and this was a, a difficult place that you're in. And so you, you just kind of kept that and it happened another month as well. And your uncle came to you and, and said, Hey, I noticed that the last couple of months you haven't been putting the thousand dollars in one of my, my accounts. And you're like, Oh, I know. I, 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 I understand. I hate that that happened, but but I, I got in a tough situation financially and I just couldn't afford to do it. I, I, was, I, I had to keep the money and, and use it for some things that have come up. And I'm sorry that happened, but, but I just, I need it. I, I can't go without it. And the question would be, if that was your response, would your uncle continue to give you $10,000 a month? Yes or no? Well, of course he wouldn't. Not if you can't even put $1,000 into his account He's not obligated to give the 10. And when we begin to realize that God owns it all, that everything that we receive, everything, our life, our breath, every ability, every gift, every amount of income that we would even receive through the work of our hands, which is gifted by God, comes from him. Everything we have belongs to him. He's God and owner over it all. He is our creator. And when you begin to realize that God is overall, then it should not come as a surprise that God would attach blessings and curses with his people when it came to their obedience. That if they disobeyed God's commands and they didn't do what he told them to do, it would be followed with curses. But if they obeyed God and followed his commands, then it would be blessed. No other nation was receiving these promises from God, but his people, Israel, they were receiving these promises. And God said to them in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. No one else was following this one true God. So no one else could put this God to the test. And God says, put me to the test and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you if you will bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Because God's hand is bigger than your hand. He is a provider. It's like the young boy who went to the store with his mom and after she bought the supplies at the store, this kind, generous store owner would always do this. He had a, a bowl of suckers and he told the little boy, he said, hey, grab a handful. Just grab a handful out of there. And the boy was acting shy like he wasn't gonna grab it. And his mom was like, what? Grab it. And he wasn't doing it. So the store owner just grabbed a handful and put it out there. And the boy held out two hands and he got two handfuls of suckers and they go out of the store. And when they went out to the car, his mom's like, you know, sweet, why, why didn't you grab a handful? When he, he said you could grab a handful, why, why'd you not do it? And the boy smiled and said, because his hand's a lot bigger than my hand. <laughs> he didn't just get a handful. He got two handfuls. God's hand is a lot bigger than your hand. God blesses overwhelmingly. It can be like drinking out of a fire hydrant. You can't outgive God. If Israel had brought the whole tithe to the Lord, there would have been adequate food for the priests, the rooms in the temple, for keeping tithe, grain would have been full, all of this. And the blessings that God had promised would have come flowing out. And God told them some of those blessings. For example, he said, I will protect your crops from the pests. Sometimes God's blessings show up by him preventing things from happening that could happen. Sometimes preventing things from happening that should happen. And God prevents it. That's one way that God works 
in our lives. And it's certainly one of the ways that he worked for them. I'm going to prevent your crops from the pest. And I will bless the fruit of the vine so that the vine doesn't release it before it is ripe and mature and ready. I will provide the nourishment and the nutrients and everything that that plant needs. And you will reap a harvest from this. God can work in advance ahead of us to sustain plants and and to sustain life. And he can do all these things. We were talking about this in our sermon planning time many months ago, six months ago or so. And Molly Bunton, as we were talking about that, she says, you know, we don't always recognize that God can work in preventative ways and keep destruction from happening. He's able to do it. He's done it before. We don't always think of that. We can be so short-sighted. We don't recognize that God sustains us each and every single day of our lives. We don't realize that God both prevents and provides. He can say no further or no, don't do that. He can prevent it, but he can also provide for it. And then God tells about other blessings he would have given the Israelites. He's like, all nations would look at you and call you blessed. They would look at you in admiration. You'd have a good reputation among the nations and you would have a delightful land delightful land with the blessings of God in it. And God goes on to say in verse 17, they will be mine and there will be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And what's so sad is the people of God don't feel like there's a distinction at all. In fact, we're going to, as we read it even here a little bit later, they feel like the wicked seem to be prospering and doing great and we don't seem to be doing so great, but they make no connection. There's no correlation in their mind. It's because of their own disobedience, their own lack of faithfulness that they are actually contributing to the problem. And the reason there's not a distinction there is because they're not living distinct. If we don't live distinct lives, honoring and following the Lord, we're not going to see the distinction even in his blessings. And so God shows that there's going to be a distinction. And God says, test me in this. It's really interesting that God said that because most of the time in the Bible, it's God's testing us. Like when David says, search me, test me, see if there's any wicked way in me and Oftentimes it's God testing us. But in this area of, of giving to God from our finances or our resources or what is provided, whether it's through agricultural or, or through currency, he, he says, in this particular case, test me in this and just see if the blessings don't come. Tithing doesn't earn us anything. But we miss the blessings when we make finances about us and our needs and what we want and we don't trust and obey God with our resources. And perhaps the reason more people don't experience God's blessing in his favor is because they've never tested God in this. They've never actually tested God in the area of their finances because the blessings of God are contingent. They're often contingent on our obedience. In fact, about 10 years ago, Rock Church, when they were looking at the data and the research among the American church, even 10 years ago, they were saying that only 2% of adults under the age of 35 tithe. Only 2% of adults under 35 tithe. And then they said that only 2% from households that had gross income of forty dollars to $60,000 tithed at that time. And then it said when looking at all Christians in America, it said less than 9% of born-again Christians tithe to their local church. Less than 9%. It was 8 point something. 
And just imagine the blessings and rewards God's church and God's people would experience if that number was not nine, but it was 99. I mean, imagine if 99% of people were doing what God told them to do. What would happen if every Christian in every church tithed? Would God do something amazing? Would our vision for outreach expand? Would, Would it intensify our impact, magnify our influence, rectify where the church has fallen short in the past. What would happen if we actually honored the Lord in this way? Ron Sider wrote a book. It was called The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. And he concluded after research and looking at all this, he said, if American Christians simply gave a tithe, there would be enough private Christian dollars to provide basic health care and education to all the poor of the earth, and we would still have 60 to 70 billion left over for evangelism around the world. Those were the numbers that they came up with. But we don't experience the blessing because we are not committed to giving. This is often what we see in, among God's people. We're not experiencing the blessings because we're not committed to giving. Look, I don't know how God would choose to bless. I have no idea. He could do it in so many ways. He might increase your income. He might lower your expenses. He might sustain your household appliance. That thing just keeps on keeping on, maybe. He might protect your health. He might keep your car out of the shop. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do it or what he's going to do. But I know he blesses those who put him first in their lives. I don't know if he'll bless you relationally. Maybe he'll bless you spiritually. Maybe he'll bless you emotionally, mentally. Maybe he'll bless you materially. God blesses in his way, in his time. Our role is just to give faithfully. That's it. Our role is just to give faithfully to the Lord and trusting him that he's going to bless us in whatever ways. Sometimes it will be to prevent, and sometimes it will be in the way that he provides. It'll be in both of those things. And so why do we give? Malachi says, so that God is your first love, so that you will be blessed and the nations will call you blessed. Those are the promises and the blessings that come conditioned upon your obedience and his people were to give their first 10% to God. And, and here's the troubling part as we read through the book of, of Malachi. It's that they didn't get it. They, they just didn't see it. In fact, they didn't even sense that anything was wrong really. You you just, you look at them, it's troubling. Here's the troubling part. It's troubling when your spiritual sensitivity prevents you from seeing your sin. It's troubling when your spiritual insensitivity prevents you from seeing your sin. When you don't realize you're even drifting, when you don't even realize how far away from God you really are, you don't even realize that your heart is not where his heart is. (coughs) Your thoughts are not thinking in the way that he thinks. Because God brings a charge against his people. And they're just aloof. They're aloof to what God wants. They're not in tune with the Lord. They act surprised. They they act like they're ignorant of what's going on. Like, wait, wait, what's going on? Why why would you say that? You know, it's kind of like when you talk to your teenager about, you know, you're supposed to clean up the kitchen. Like, well, I thought I did. Where's the accusations coming from? And this is the way the Israelites are. And it's one after another. In fact, I want us to look at some of these really quick. I think there's like six of them, maybe, maybe seven. Six accusations that I just want to look at. So we're going back to chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. And God's telling his people how he loves them. And here's the response. How, how have you loved us? How, how have you loved us? It, it doesn't feel like it right now, God. How, how are you loving us? And 
They're blind to God's love for them. And, and he's reminding them how, he, how he's worked in their past and how he made them into a nation, how he showed love to Jacob and he's provided for them and protected them. And, and here he is delivering them and, and how much, they don't even realize much of their struggle is because of their own disobedience, rebellion against God. <coughs> he's like, you're showing more respect to the Persian governor than you are to me. You're not revering God at all. And then you get to verse six through chapter two, verse nine, and the priests, the priests are, uh, they're innocent. They're like, hey, how have we despised God's name? How have we defiled you? Wait, 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 wait why, are you, why are you saying that's happened? And God's like, because you're offering lame, injured, diseased animals in your sacrifices. It's not the best of what you have. You wouldn't even give that to the governor. So why are, why are you doing this for me? Why are you doing it to God? Oh, I didn't think it was that bad. You get to Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, and the people start doing this too. They're, they're like, how, how have we, the people, profaned the covenant? How have we done this? Why, why does God not look favorably on our worship and our offerings? Well, why is God not looking favorably on this? What, what have we done? And God's like, well, you're intermarrying with women from other nations who worship these idols and these false gods, and you're bringing those gods into your home, and you too, your hearts are being inclined to worship along with them and being led astray from me. And those of you who are married, you're unfaithful to your wife of your youth. She's your partner. She's the wife of your marriage covenant. But you don't view your marriage as a covenant before God, and you discard them when you're not happy. Your relationship with the people in your life affects your relationship with me. In fact, in Malachi 2.16, he says, The man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect says the Lord Almighty. The way you're discarding and divorcing your wife because you're not happy with her anymore is violence to her. It's not protecting her. It's hating her. And we know God hates, he hates divorce and what that does in our lives. And, but the people, they, they didn't even see it. They didn't even know there was a, an issue. And then we get to chapter 2, 17, to verse, chapter 3, verse 6, and they're like, how have we wearied God with our words? How have we wearied him? Well, by saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. When you say that evil things are good and God's pleased with them, or you're asking God, where is your justice, God? Not even realizing that you're the cause of the injustice, not God. And God even goes on, some of you are sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers. You defraud your laborers, their wages. You oppress the widow and the fatherless, and you deprive the foreigners that are among you of justice. God says, you don't fear me, you don't revere me. This is the issue. Then you get to chapter 3, verse 7, and God brings another indictment. And they're like, hey, how, how have we robbed God? How have we done that? And he's like, by withholding tithes and offerings for the Lord's house. Then you get to chapter 3, 13 through 15. They're like, hey, how have we spoken against God? How, how, what, what, I didn't say anything. Like, what, what were my words? And, well, because you said it was futile to serve God. You thought it was futile because you said, what do we gain by carrying out his requirements and, and going on like mourners before the Lord for our sins? Certainly evildoers prosper. They, even, even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So your perspective is everybody else is doing great who doesn't follow the Lord. So don't follow God. Don't serve God. Do these other things. It's one indictment after another. And here's the issue. They don't fear God. 
They don't revere God. He is not the priority of their life or of their heart. It's not. And so Malachi reveals a solution here, and I I think it can be summed up in three words. Three words for the solution. Here it is. Honor the Lord. Just honor the Lord. Let's just start with that. It's easy. Excuse me, I said that backwards. It's not easy, but it's simple. Honor the Lord. Honor was the primary issue here. In fact, look, look at a couple of scriptures here. Malachi 1, 6 says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. Or how about this one in Malachi 2, 1? And now you priests... This warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you've not resolved to honor me. The word honor means to be weighted down. He carries weight. It's like a, it's the idea that a king carried weight, was weighted down with all the accessories of the royalty, the crown, the robe, the scepter, the medallion, all of it showed that the one who carried the weight around was the most important one. That was the one to be honored. And the author is revealing to us that God is the the heavy weight. He's the one that's to carry more weight than anyone or anything else in our life. We are to honor him, revere him, fear him. In fact, the author of Proverbs from this same context of giving to the Lord says the same thing. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It sounds like Malachi's words as well. You honor the Lord, revere the Lord, fear the Lord, give weight to God in your life, make him the priority of your heart, give to God first and start, he would say in the Old Testament there, start with the tithe to do it. And in so doing, you'll be blessed. When we give to God the first of our income, we demonstrate he carries more weight. He's the priority. And that's the single most important goal of our lives, regardless of our economic standing or anything else, is that we we honor the Lord. And that was the goal of, of every person's life. If it was, if that was the goal of every person's life, we'd be in a totally different place. The courts would not be crowded. The prisons would be closed. There would be no more secrets between husbands and wives, no more senseless domestic violence, no more war, murder, No more dishonesty in business. No more self-serving attitudes. No more doing what's best for me. No more you do you. No more me first mentality. None of that. Not if we were honoring the Lord and making him the priority because the bottom line is the priority of my life must be about honoring God. Honoring God. It's, It's simple, but it's not easy. To honor him with everything in my life. And the only way you can do that, the only way you can do that is not going to be in your own strength. I mean, even right now, here we are in Malachi. We're coming to the end of the Old Testament. This is a hundred years after the people had returned from exile. They've been exiled because they'd fallen so far away from the Lord. God allowed them to be punished. They come back. We're now a hundred years later. And Malachi is dealing with the same issue again. These people are far from God. Their hearts are far from the Lord. They're still not honoring him and revering him. He still doesn't have the priority of them or their community. I mean, you just look at it and right there in Malachi, this is a mess. It is not resolved. The exile didn't solve anything. It didn't work anything because their hearts are far from the Lord. It's not where they needed to be. So the question becomes, 
What's the solution? What's going to happen? What, what, what can be done without God just destroying them completely? What's going to happen? Who's going to change their hearts? When you look at Malachi chapter 3, thank goodness he also gives us some hope. Among the indictments, he gives some hope. In fact, that's exactly what happens at the beginning of chapter 3, where Malachi concludes chapter 3 and 4 with this dramatic prophecy of the coming of the Lord. But here's how it begins. Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. I'm going to send a messenger to prepare the way before me. At the end of chapter 4, he's going to talk about that same messenger in the spirit of Elijah who's going to prepare the way before me. We, as we get into the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, we hear about the one who was the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And his name was John the Baptist. And we learn in the New Testament, he was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi written 400 years before, that that 400 years of silence was broken by John the Baptist there in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. He's the messenger. The the messenger who would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The messenger who would say, I must become lesser. Jesus must become greater. Because see, that's the real messenger. Because we get to Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 goes on to say this. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says Lord Almighty. Now we're talking about a different messenger. Not John the Baptist messenger. Now we're talking about Jesus the messenger, the Messiah messenger. We're talking about God in the flesh. It's his temple. And he's going to come in person to make this right. It's the only way it's going to happen. Is if Jesus comes himself and lives a sinless life and pays the price for our sins and redeems us and forgives us and heals us and empowers us to live a new life, we're going to be completely dependent on Jesus to do it. We desperately need him to do it. All of our trust has got to be in him to do it. And so verse 2 of Malachi 3 goes on. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He's saying if you trust in this messenger, in Jesus, if you put your hope in him, he's like a refiner's fire. Not, a de- not to destroy you, but to purify you. Not to cut you off, but to cleanse you. His is a refiner's fire that's going to remove the impurities, the dross from your life so that you can begin to live for God. He's going to do it. He's going to solve the problem when you put your hope and your trust in him. It's Jesus. But Malachi ends with a warning that if you don't believe in him and trust in him, if you live in unbelief and distrust, then the fire you face won't be a refiner's fire. Instead, it'll be a destructive fire. It's here in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will, will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left of them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its Rays. If you don't put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you'll be destroyed. There won't be anything left. But those of you who trust in Jesus, God's just sharing his heart with them right now. Those of you who trust in Jesus, he wants to refine you. He wants to refine you, not destroy you. He wants to heal you, not remove you. But you must revere the Lord. You must honor the Lord. You must have a spiritual awakening where you no longer are like, hey, what do we do? 
and you have this spiritual sensitivity where you lean into the Lord and you have this spiritual awakening and he reveals to your heart those areas that need to change. And you obey the Lord. You humble yourself before the Lord. And that's really what we want to do right now. We can't let any more time pass without humbling ourselves before the Lord, listening to him, becoming obedient to him, humbling ourselves before him. So I want you to just do that right now. I want to spend a little time in just reflection this morning. I want you just to evaluate some things and think on it between you and the Lord. And it may even help right now for you just to close your eyes to do this. It may help if you write something down. But I want you to, reval- I want you to evaluate and some things in your life right now and where you are. Praying that the Holy Spirit reveals to you those areas where you are drifting. Those areas in your life where you're not aligned with the Lord and you're not being obedient to Him. So... I think a place we could start based on this text would be to reevaluate our giving to the Lord. Are we giving to the Lord and what are we giving? Jesus affirmed the tithe. Really the theme of the New Testament goes beyond that. It goes to generosity. We're to be generous. Generous with others, generous with the Lord. You know, this is that time of year when we always send out an end-of-year uh, report. And it's, it's, kinda, it, it, it's a contribution report for anybody who's given to Northside throughout the year. They'll get this. And then it just talks about ways God has been using that this year. We'll, we'll talk about what's happened this summer, whether it's through camps or VBS and different things. In fact, I think that's going out this week. But that can also be a good time for you when you get that. Just to Also, just look and evaluate, where are you with giving to the Lord? What does that look like? And is he the priority of your heart? Does he carry the weight? This may be a good time to evaluate your relationships with the Lord. and Is your relationships honoring to him? Do you honor God the most in your relationships or is, do you honor someone else the most? It's a good time to look at your priorities before the Lord. Because refocusing priorities is not so much about rearranging my schedule. It's about refocusing my life. It's, it's about God having the priority of my heart. It's in order for you and I to refocus our lives. We, there's something that needs to happen long before we look at our schedule or we look at a list. It's, 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 it's about a change of heart. We need a change of heart that flips a switch on the inside where we begin to see things differently and we hate our sin and we are pursuing Jesus and We just have an awareness of a new power to live a different way of life. What is God, what is he saying to you right now? As you submit to the refiner's fire, where you believe and trust in him and invite God to work in you without getting defensive, without saying, God, what's going on? Instead, right now becoming spiritually sensitive and asking God to awaken in you. awaken in you, bring clarity to you. Where are you drifting from him? So just take a few moments right now, just in the quiet stillness of your heart to reflect on how your priority needs to be changed.
Jesus, the words you've given us are meant to be obeyed. Jesus, what you've impressed upon our hearts in this quiet moment is meant to be followed, acted upon. Lord, would you give us the courage to do it, the strength to do it, remind us of the reason why we do it. We want to bring honor to you, revere your name, show that you are the priority of our heart. God, I pray that you would convict us of sin. I pray that you would reveal to us areas where we drift. Pray for an awakening in our spirits, our hearts in the city. So Lord, we want to pray for the strength to do that. And, And then Lord, I want to pray for whatever you brought to our mind today because this is what your Holy Spirit intends for us to obey. I want to pray that each person here would right now identify someone they could just share it with. And just say, here's what I felt God saying to me today through his word and this is what I need to do. And I wanted to share that so that there's someone that can, in a sense, ask me how it went or how it's going or hold me accountable so that I do what God's leading us to do. and So Lord, we pray for that direction from your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand to your feet uh, this morning, I, I think another way we can respond is right now. You know, as we think through Malachi 3 and giving to the Lord, you can do that right now. In fact, you can give at the offering boxes as you leave this morning and through the email or, or, or the online giving and the, and the texting number you see on your screen. This is certainly one way we can obey and respond. But another way is God may be prompting you right now to respond to him, to reorient your life, make him the Lord. And maybe you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you want to place membership in a church and partner with us. Maybe you want to just pray for something where you need God's working in your life and to bring some more clarity. I would love to visit and pray with you and talk with you right now. And so I want to be stepping out to decision point as we sing. I'd love to meet you there. But let this right now just be that moment where you just bring all of this to the Lord, to Jesus. You come to his altar. He's calling you. The question is, will you respond? Will you do and respond to what he's calling you to do? Because he has so much grace for you. His blood has been shed for you. Let us be a moment right now to respond to him. And you can do that as we sing. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.